Great to have you aboard here on the Marlins Hot Stove Show. Steven Strom, Kyle Seeloff, Fox Sports 940, and the iHeartRadio app. It's great to have you aboard here on a Tuesday night on the fifth day of December. Steven Strom solo here uh, in the studio, but Kyle Seeloff is live in Nashville. Very happy he was able to join me here. Kyle, how's Nashville? What's going on? Um, It's very good. Uh, The winter meetings are chaotic but um it's good it's like a reunion of people you haven't seen in two months you just run into a bunch of people you haven't seen you chit chat with them um you know it's interesting the baseball the the winter meetings are not a thing of the past but it genuinely used to be a place where before you know cell phones and the ability to text and facetime you you would get deals done right sure um you know it I'm sure GMs talk, presidents of baseball operations talk, and maybe they get, you know, maybe they start laying some groundwork for something. Um, but it's it's much more of like a media spectacle these days. And it's cool to see people. You have a chance to chat with people. I'm I'm happy to be up here and doing some stuff for the Marlin social channels and stuff. It's cool. It's it's cool to chat with some the people. Kyle Cam. Yes. Uh, 2Ks, by the way. 2Ks. Kyle Cam. Makes <laughs> me very uncomfortable doing that stuff. But I'm um, just trying to do it, trying to have fun with it. But, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, yesterday, a little pep in everybody's step. Uh, we are in the Music City. We are in Nashville. And I went to get Your my coffee place. this morning. Yep. Um, everybody a little bit slower. Some folks a little bit more wobbly, right? Mm. Eyes going in different directions. Just What are you dying. insinuating? Yeah, just not. Well, they were out. Um, oh. Just dying for a coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's Nashville. We we can't uh, we can't beat around the bush there. People were out a little too late last night. So uh, not not nearly as much pep in everybody's step here. Very good. Very good. There's a ton to get to, Kyle, not only with just uh, what the Marlins uh, are going to do over this next week. Peter Bendix spoke, Skip Schumacher spoke, but also Jim Leland into the Hall Mm. of Fame. We are so happy to have him on today. How was your Uh, interview? It was good. It was good. Uh, I planned on doing it with you, but I know there's a lot of busy stuff going on. It was really cool to to be with someone of his status and uh, particularly such a big uh, guy in Marlins history, 1997 mm-hmm. World Series champion, delivered the first one in such little time for the franchise. So yeah, it was really cool to catch up with him. Uh, and he's a character, you know, he's a character. So uh, very much looking forward to sharing that with the audience. So Kyle, I, I first want to start with the two guys that spoke in Nashville on day one on Monday, Skip Schumacher and Peter Bendix. And we'll start here with Skip Schumacher. And the one thing that stuck out to me was I think it was Isaac or someone may have asked him about the coaching staff and said, is the coaching staff set? Like everything's good. You just hired Bill Miller. You just hired, uh, you know, you have your new hitting coach. You, you brought up Mabry. So when he asked that question, Skip looked at him and said, close, we're close to having it set with a smile. Mm-hmm. What do you think that means? Is this uh, an instance where like, where would they go as far as hiring a new person? What's sort of your idea on that? I don't know. That's a good question. I'm actually taking a look now because I, I, I read that and I saw that as well, but I, I, I guess maybe I'm a, uh, a, a, a bit confused as to what direction I, I right. guess maybe there's more room on the, uh, the major league. Ro- there's a certain amount of people you can have in uniform, you have your manager, your bench coach, two assistant hitting coaches, a now a hitting coach in Maybury, and the addition of Bill Miller along with Jason Start, Mel Stoudemire Jr., John Jay, 
Jody Reed. Uh, I know we haven't announced it. Um, I know there hasn't been an official announcement from the club, but I haven't heard that Wellington Cepeda beef, as many know him, won't be back. I, I don't know if Rob Flippo will be back. So Griffin Benedict is here. I saw him. Uh, Rob Rahas not here. That doesn't mean they're not with the staff. It just it depends. Right, on right, right. Um, yeah. um, so maybe there's a change there. I don't want to speculate too much, but I, I don't, I, I'm, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what exactly that means, but I'm interested to see what they end up doing. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's interesting. Obviously there's still a little bit of meat left on the bone there. How cool is Bill Miller being here? I haven't seen him yet, to be honest with you. I, I know I'm I, saying being a part of the Marlins staff. Oh, a part of the Marlins. Okay. Yeah. Cause I don't right. know if he's here. I don't know if he's here in Nashville. Um, amazing. I tweeted this last week. If you like yeah. baseball history, Obviously, he is forever etched in Boston Red Sox history. If you go back to 2004, game four, the ALCS, Red Sox down three games to nothing in the series. Obviously, going into that series, um, you know, they, they were dead, right? Yep, dead. And, and you Don, know, and, um, Benito. Yeah, and um, oh my gosh, who hosts that the, the, the four o'clock show the f- former Marlin. I just blanked on him. I'm sorry. He used to do the show. Um, Kevin Millar jeepers. I'm sorry. Right. Before obviously game four, Millar said, you know, just a bunch of idiots. Don't let us win tonight. Now where I'm going with that. It was Bill Miller after the single leading off the bottom of the ninth inning, Red Sox down four, three and Oh four. They also, yes, Robert Steele second, Dave Roberts Steele's second bill Miller. Yeah. Him in. And as they say, the rest is history. The Red Sox will go on to break the curse and they would win the next four games against the Yankees. Uh, so to my understanding, that's a guy that knows a little bit about hitting. And additionally, he was with skip a couple of years ago and said, they have a bit of a in St. Los Louis Angeles tie. or yep. La- was Los Angeles or C- yeah. St. Louis, Los Angeles. That's what okay, he said. But- He's known Bill Miller from his LA days. He was a special okay. assistant. There. Right. And I think actually in recent years, Biller might've been doing something with the Cardinals. So there's, yeah, he, there's- he did. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There's ties there. So uh, that's a guy that obviously skip is familiar with. And um, we'll see. Sounds like a good guy to me. Kyle, let me, let's stick on the coaching um, real quick. And we mentioned Brant Brown leaving for Seattle. Congratulations to him. And the big thing that Skip has been kind of talking about because he was a big part of the hitting plan. I mean, he was the guy that he just basically expects Skip does that. They're going to take bits and pieces of it and basically just do similar things with similar ideas. Is it that easy you think to do, or do you think that they're going to tweak some things uh, that that's the one thing, because you, you have heard situations with college coaches. Like first one, I think is like urban Meyer. And then Ryan day comes in not, not a ton changes, you know, they probably stick to the same philosophy, but then there's different changes that you'd like to put on. But what, what do you think about that? So here's what I'll say. And this is take this with a grain of salt. I'm not going to pretend I really know what I'm talking about here. But what I will say is from everything that I understand and that I've just seen over the years and really transcends sports, not just baseball, it you you have to find a way to connect with people. Like your message has to connect with people. And that's what Bill Miller, uh, John Mabry, and now these guys will be tasked with. Connecting with the people, it, it's, it, it's not so much – it is the ability to get them to hit, right? Yeah. But how can your can your message resonate? Right. Can you connect with these guys for eight months? And what you're saying seeps into their brains and it's 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 easy, right? Like we can take this. So, you know, I think that's probably um a lot of coaching and managing as well. You know, like how how can I connect with my players, get them to buy in? In order to get that buy-in, your message, you know, can't be convoluted. It has to be make sense, right? Of course. Like of so course. I think more than anything, when you're talking about hitting coaches, pitching coaches, managers, it's you have to have people trust you because 
you know, it's very cliche, but in baseball, you're going to the hall of fame after 10 years, you hit 300 and you're, you know, you're, you're out 70% of the time. You know, that's crazy. Like it's crazy. You just fail. Literally. You literally just fail all the time. And if by chance you're good enough, three out of every 10 times, you might end up in Cooperstown. Like that's insane to think about. And over the course of nine months, that's the mental, like, you know, gymnastics you have to do every day. So he's got to resonate with players and I'm, I'm sure they'll do a great job at it. I mean, this is a great staff. They did it last year. Let's move to Peter Bendix, who mm-hmm. spoke as well. A couple of things I have written down just as far as his media availability. First off, he said the market is is moving slower than usual. Um, he then mentioned Gabe Kapler and, and that hire. He said he was a tremendous uh, man, well, well of experience with player, coach, manager, farm director. He's done it all. And uh, then just said flat out, we need another catcher. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, I like, I like that. He's not beating around the bush. Yeah. Right. Like the, the shortstop situation too. Can we get some more guys that can play shortstop for us? Yeah. Um, I think the one thing that he said that people will really grab and gravitate towards was he was asked, is anybody untouchable? And he said, I don't like to consider anybody yep. untouchable. And then the caveat was that I think we have some really good young players and insinuating that, you know, guys you can't on- say just for the audience that there's like, oh, my God, is a rise going to get traded? Oh, my God, is Yuri? No, like he's got to say that just from a media perspective, because if he says you're just giving away your cards and even though like they won't trade some of these players, you just right. can't do that just in case something comes up. And I I do believe that nobody is untouchable. You know, if yeah, DiMaggio, Gary and Ruth are offered for, you know. It would have to be a ton, obviously, right? Yes, like yes, that. Yes, yes. Um, but I, I, I think you're being negligent in your job if you're just like, nope, off limits. People that may not like that, but I think that's true. Like if 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 uh, somebody comes to you with an unbelievable package for your, you have to entertain it. Like that's just mm-hmm. you're not doing your job right if you're not doing that. If somebody's just like, I want him and I'm going to give you everything. Okay, let's talk, right? But you get the point. Obviously, some guys are going to be here. Um, and maybe some guys won't. Um, I think we've talked about that the last couple of weeks with Peter Bendix, right? That's it's interesting. He comes from a place where uh, tough decisions were made year over year over year in the middle of season, star players, and they pulled the trigger on moves in Tampa Bay before it was too late. And they were competing for a World Series and in the playoffs every single year. So um, I think that's the model. I, I I really do. But I thought Peter was very open, very, very open. I thought he was really probably the most open he's been in a media availability, which would yeah. make sense because he's been here for a little bit. Yeah. So obviously they need a catcher. They need. And who, who's the catcher for you right now? Has it changed Vic, since no, last Victor week? Victor Caratini. Still Victor okay. Caratini. I, I think okay. I, uh, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say he needs to be on this team, but I think he's a great catcher. I think it would okay. be the best catcher the Marlins have had since JT Real Muto. Oh, I like that. Yep. I like that. Uh, any names out there that you're, I mean, again, you talked about just being a little bit of a media. Otani to the Marlins. Did you hear any buzz on that? No, uh, <laughs> but that's all you hear about. It's it's crazy. That's all. That's all there. That's all you hear is like Otani, Otani, Otani. So all the guys are there. There's Buster there, JP Morosi. I didn't, I didn't me, see give Buster. Me some, give I'm going to. Drop yeah, some see, names here. I know. Well, so what? This is airing at five o'clock tonight. I know we're doing this this morning, but whatever. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I have not seen Buster. Seen Ken Rosenthal walking around. Jeff Passan. I am going to catch up with John Morosi today and do something on Marlins Instagram with him. Um, chatted with the Cespedes Barbecue guys yesterday. Two of my I favorite dudes. I've Good just stuff. known them for a while, and I, I, I they're really cool guys. Um, they they're very unique. They hopped into the baseball, you know, 
landscape with a different view on it and had a lot of fun with it. And I wouldn't say Twitter infancy, but obviously at a time where it's not as prevalent as it is now or X or whatever. Sure. Um, so that you see all the MLB network sets and ESPN baseball tonight. Uh, Mets and Yankees have their TV stations here. Serious is XM. Mad Dog there? I haven't seen him. No. Let me ask you this. I know you love talking about yourself. Did anyone come up to you and be like, Hey, you know, anyone of name of, 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 relevance that you were like wow um, like he no not work. no not um there was a marlins fan here last night that stopped me and i i tweeted very him cool out. tommy hill lives in northern alabama i was chatting with him asked very me good. if i had any marlin scoop i said tommy i'm sorry i don't have <laughs> um no but not, not not nobody other than like the people that we would see during the season actually you know it's very cool um and the marlins still do this to an extent we used to have a massive internship program with the marlins that's how i started yeah and yeah i've run into Erica, Nina, Nick. Erica is head PR with the A's. Nina is with Minnesota. Nick is head PR with Kansas City. They all started with the Marlins in 2015 and 2016. It's really cool to see people that um, I Very guess good. I'm a little bit older than, but they interned obviously, and now they have full time jobs and they're all in communication. So maybe that's uh, maybe that's uh, our Lord and Savior John Eric Alvarez just pumping these people out into. Uh, <laughs> The baseball world. I don't know. It's cool to see people though. It's it, it's a media event. You just yep. chat. You know, it's you, you have a few drinks. You have breakfast. You have lunch. You you meet with people. Um, it's good. It, it it's good. It's actually very tiring. You'd be surprised standing on your feet all day just talking and doing oh, yeah. nothing. You're yeah. at nighttime. You're like, uh, you know, do I have a medical condition? Do I need help? Why am I exhausted? <laughs> very good, Kyle. All right, coming up next. Stick with us. We've got the Hall of Famer, Jim Leland. 22 managerial seasons. He joins the Marlins Hot Stove Show next on Fox Sports 940 and the iHeartRadio app. Back here on a Tuesday night, it's the Marlins Hot Stove Show. A little bumper to bumper. Hope everyone is doing well today. Steven Strom, Kyle Seeloff, Fox Sports 940, iHeartRadio app. Kyle in Nashville at the winter meetings. Steven Strom here in Miami. Kyle, we've had some uh, awesome news over the weekend. Mm. Jim Leland, the um, longtime manager, 22 years, 1997 World Series champion with the Florida Marlins at the time. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame. I know you were able to uh, catch a little bit of his press conference, but uh, I am so fired up to have him on here tonight. Um, amazing human being and an unbelievable storyteller. 22 years managing in baseball. You know, it's insane. If you actually take a look at his career record, nearly 1,800 career wins, 1,769 wins, 1,728 losses forever. And I mean forever etched into Florida Marlins history. The the interesting thing that many, you know, maybe for some young folks that, not that they forget, but you think of Jim Leland and you think of 1997. What's crazy is that Jim Leland was not, even with the Marlins for two years, right? No, at all. Yeah. 146. No, he was two years. I'm sorry. But, you know, 92 and 70, they win it all in 97, goes 54 and 108 in 1998. And then he's done in Florida. He goes to Colorado. Then he calls it quits in Colorado after 99, goes to a front office role, comes back in 2006. And his final year was 2013. That was my first year with the Miami Marlins. And I say that because it was on closing day in 2013, the Marlins and Henderson Alvarez, um, Completed a no-hitter on closing day. Now, the Tigers were on their way to the playoffs uh, in the American League, obviously, there in 2013. Yep. One footnote from that that I'll never forget. 
Henderson Alvarez throws a no-hitter. It was 0-0 going to the bottom of the ninth inning. Marlins win on a wild pitch on Carlos Stanton mm-hmm. scores from third. The closest the Detroit Tigers got to a hit in that ball game was an opposite field line drive off the bat of Justin Verlander that landed about six inches wow. foul. And that was as close as the Tigers came um, to breaking up that no-hitter early in the game um, on, on closing day 2013. So that's my Jim Leland story for you. Very good. Very good. Obviously a baseball legend. Um, Him and Dave Dombrowski, I asked him about this, just why they work so well. I mean, there are so many different, he's one of those guys, Kyle, where it's like, you don't have enough time with, Um, but just so cool to be able to have him on and uh, congratulations to him. So without further ado, let's get to that interview again. It's just uh, Jim and I, Kyle was not able to uh, be a part of it, but let's hear uh, my interview with Jim Leland. He managed in the show for 22 years, won 1,769 games. He guided your Miami Marlins or Florida Marlins at the time to their first World Series title in 1997. The accolades go on and on, but this one was a biggie. Jim Leland elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. He joins the Marlins Hot Stove Show now. And Jim Stevenstrom here, first off, congratulations. Thank you for carving out the time. I'm sure you've done a ton of these, but you got the call. You got to put on the jersey on Monday. You'll do your speech in July. Has it hit you yet that you're officially a Hall of Famer? Well, I guess yes and no. You know, it's been a it's been a long day. Uh, we left Pittsburgh about three uh, thirty this morning from the house, and it's been pretty hectic. But certainly, uh, you know, you don't mind getting a little tired. This is a good tired, believe me. So, uh, very proud to be here. Uh, very proud to have been elected into the Hall of Fame. Like I said, uh, excited when I was put on the ballot, but ecstatic when I was elected. That 1997 Marlins team, any stories or memories resonate when you think about that team in particular? I can remember the seventh game of the World Series very well. Uh, we were in extra innings, and uh, we loaded the bases, and Devon White was up, and I was very short of pitching. I had one player left, Alex Arias. I was short of pitching, so I kept looking at my lineup card to see if I was going to have to double switch, uh, double switch how I was going to maneuver. And I looked up, and Edgar took strike one after Devon White grounded out to the second baseman. So now there were two outs, and everybody the outfield went back. Everybody was in normal position. And anyways, uh, so Edgar takes strike one. He jumps back from a breaking ball by Charles Nagy. So I'm looking back down at my lineup card, and the next pitch coming is a breaking ball blown away on the outside corner, probably a ball. But Edgar, I think, set him up. He jumped away from the first one, and the next one, he went right out and reached out off the outside part of the plate and hit a base at the center field. And just like that, the emotion, the up-and-down swing was unbelievable. I mean, within seconds, you were World Series champion. I see you remember that game uh, pretty pretty vividly. Where did you get the memory? Did you always have it, or is it just that specific game? Because, of course, it's game seven. No, I I think uh, that's one thing I I normally have had is, is a pretty good memory. Uh, I, I can remember plays that happened back in the minor leagues. Uh, I can remember one time when I played in the rookie league and we had lost 16 in a row. Uh, and we uh, were winning three to nothing in the 17th game. Two hits, batsmen, and a walk and a grand slam. We lost our 17th in a row. So that was back <laughs> in 1963. So I got a pretty good memory. Uh, Jim Leland with us now on the Marlins Hot Stove Show. How did your time with the Marlins shape your managerial career? Well, it was a wonderful experience. And even the second year was from a personal record standpoint, it was a disaster, obviously. But a lot of those guys went on to play on a world championship team later on. 
And I was actually, I had the privilege of breaking them in. Like I said, your personal record took a beat and we lost 108 games or something. But, uh, you know, Derek Lee and Louis Castillo and some of those young players, got, uh, you know, Cliff, uh, I don't know if Cliff was still there, I think. But, uh, you know, so that was kind of rewarding, even though it was a, a miserable year from a record standpoint. And then, of course, in 1997, to win the World Series, uh, you know, all year long, uh, the crowd, half the crowd was probably for the other team. Like uh, maybe when Philadelphia came in or the Yankees came in, sure. you know, a lot of the crowd was for us. Some of the crowd was for the other team. But when we got to the postseason uh, in those last few games, we had 67,000 people in that stadium. And I believe, I want to say, it was the second largest crowd uh, since the Coliseum back when the White Sox played in the Coliseum. So uh, people really turned out. It was absolutely great to win that, especially for Wayne Huizenga, who was uh, became a very good friend of mine. Why do you think you and Dave Dombrowski work so well together? We won. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that usually uh, heals all wounds. But uh, now, truthfully, we we won quite a bit. We did, and uh, you know, we we didn't win it all that much, but we went to three World Series together in a in a ten year period that I managed for Dave. Uh, you know, Dave was the boss, uh, and uh, we we all have a boss. And then I was kind of the boss on the field, and and the players understood; uh, they were great about it. Uh, we just had a, a a good relationship, and I I always liked Dave because to this day he's not afraid to make a deal. He's mm -hmm. not afraid. He's not afraid to go out and get a free agent. You know, he'll take his chances. He's not afraid at all, and I've always respected that about him. He. You know, like he told me he was at Philadelphia. You know, I want to win in Philadelphia, not Reading. So, you know, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, Jim, people love you, of course, because of the games you've helped win for fans and teams. But your raw emotion in interviews are authentic and almost perplexing because we look at you as this tough and strict individual, but you were very in touch with your feelings. What made you comfortable being vulnerable, and why do you think the game gets you to that point of almost in tears well i don't think I, I don't think people understand how hard it is to win a major league baseball game and how hard it is for players to play on an everyday basis and give everything they got and the trials and tribulations they go through and the slumps in that and when you accomplish something the emotion kind of comes out especially for the utility players i, I always liked it when my utility player got the big hit to win the game because the cameras weren't always on a star every night mm. that's when you know you got a team that's when you know it's meshing together and you got something going. And, you know, I, I always felt for those guys. I, I, I love the players, uh, you know, but I do think that, as I said earlier today, I think the players like discipline. And I'm not talking about being hard on the players, but I think the players like leadership. I believe they do today. I, I think the young people are looking for leadership, and it kind of takes a little burden off their shoulders when somebody else steps out front. And kind of takes a little pressure off them. I think the, I think the players really like that, to be honest with you. You think it's changed as far as uh, discipline and organization and structure? Well, I think there's some things that have changed a little bit, obviously, with all uh, people nowadays called analytics. I call it information. I had all the information <laughs> you could possibly have when I managed. But there is more today, and some of it's very good. Once again, going back to my press conference, I said I'm old, but I'm not old school. You, know, you can always learn, and I think there's a lot of good stuff out there today, particularly on the pitching side, not so much on the hitting side, but on the pitching side, there's a lot of good stuff out there, pitch usage and stuff like that. We really didn't have quite all that stuff when I managed. 
Jim Leland with us now on the Marlins Hot Stove Show. Into the Hall of Fame he goes. Uh, Jim, you've given so much to the game. What has the game given you from either an emotional, a spiritual, whatever it may be? Well, I mean, it's obviously given me everything. I'm going to the Hall of Fame. So uh, it's just, you know, I, I, I can't tell you what the game's given to me. I tried to give it my all, but the game gave me everything back, too. And what I mean by that is all the players you have over the course of the years, all the relationships that you build up, uh, it's, it's just special, you know, particularly when you get those teams from time to time where you get that family atmosphere. And you can tell in the clubhouse this is a special team. And you can tell when you don't have a special team as well. And you got to make some adjustments. But, uh, you know, just the relationships and, mm. and being together every single day, you know, it's a long, long season. You're going to have some ups and downs. You're going to have some players mad at the manager. The manager's going to be mad at the players. But at the end of the day, you're all in it together. Two more left for you, and we'll let you go. Jim Leland with us now. Um, you know, with managing it, I think it's different than any other sport as far as a coach in hockey or a coach in football. Um, you have to poke and pry and then back up. And when did you become authentic or comfortable in your managerial style? Because it could be tough when you're younger. When did you start to feel comfortable in who you were as a manager? Actually, pretty early in my career, but it came from the minor leagues. And I, I'm not saying by any means that you have to manage in the minor leagues to manage the big leagues, because you don't. There have been people that have proved that for a lot of years now. But my experience in the minor leagues was the thing that taught me how to manage. When you manage 11 years in the minor leagues and you get to the big leagues, something comes up in a big league game, you've probably seen that somewhere before, because you managed 11 years in the minor leagues. Somewhere one year you saw that situation. And you're kind of ready for it. It's kind of an instinctive thing. So uh, the experience I got in the minor leagues was so valuable to me. Mm. Not everybody has to do it. And the other thing that I've always said is when you're a former big league player, and there's a lot of them that have gone on to be successful managers, great managers, but if you're a really good big league player and you take over a team, you have to lose the player's respect. But when you're a minor league player, and I'm not complaining about it, it's just a fact, but when you're a minor league player, not a very good one like myself, and you end up getting a big league job, you have to earn the player's respect. So there's a difference there. And I think that's very important. And I think that's why managing the minor leagues was what I needed to do it. I would have never been a good big, big league manager without it. But there are a lot of guys that are. Last one. And people love you for many reasons, but one of them is your quick temper and you are very passionate you ever, uh, you ever almost feel bad sometimes going to the umpire? You ever look back and be like, ah, I was a little bit too hard on him. Like, ah, I don't know if I should have reacted this way. Are you just like, you know what? I went out there for a reason. He screwed up, and this is why I did it. Well, I can tell you this. I never went out and argued with an umpire to try to motivate my team. I think that's ridiculous. If you have to do that, you're not doing a very good job of managing. So if I went out uh, beefing about a call, I was legitimately upset about something. But there were times when my language wasn't very good. I wasn't <laughs> proud of the language. No, I wasn't proud of the language I used. Uh, probably not, you know, some of the names I called people probably was not very good. But the umpires, nowadays, they call you that right back. So it's kind of evened out. But, yeah, I'm not proud of all those. But uh, for the most part, I had a great relationship with umpires, and I respect them very much. I respect them because when you're a manager, you have a home field. And normally the fans will be on your side, the home fans, normally. But the umpire doesn't have a home field. He's Nobody. a visitor wherever he goes. He's a visitor wherever he goes. That makes it tough. Very good. Jim, I really appreciate the time. Congratulations. So well deserved. And from all of 
the uh, Florida Marlins and Miami Marlins currently. Congratulations, and we're so happy for you. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, a big thanks to Jim Leland, who was just inducted into the Hall of Fame. Really good spot with him, Kyle. Uh, just, I guess, to put a bow on this, you look at the 1,769 games won, the World Series, the accolades go on and on, but what sticks out to you just uh, about his legacy? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, you he know what's great, you know dudes, what, man. Yeah, and you know what sticks out to me the most about his legacy is the heartfelt stories that his former players shared. I was I was in his press conference yesterday here in Nashville, and you know he mentioned something. I was like, wow, it's amazing. He says, you know, the people that I'll remember the most, and the people that reach out to me to this day, um, that still means a lot to me was the minor league players that never made it. And I was the one to tell them that their careers were over, but I made an impact on their life that we still keep in touch. He says, the hardest thing you'll ever have to do as a manager, tell somebody their career is over Yep, and they didn't make it. And back, oh my God, they still don't make a whole lot, obviously. But back then, I mean, living off peanut butter and jellies and to be told that you're done, like baseball's over. But to have that kind of an impact on a young man, for those people to still be in touch with him years later, uh, he was like, I, I, you know, I've had guys win MVPs and player of the years and world series, but I don't know. I, to me, his legacy is the impact that he had on the game. Very good. Kyle, uh, who do we have coming up next? I heard you're uh, working over there uh, as far as a guest for our next segment. Take us into break. Who we got coming up next? Yeah, that's going to be Marlins bench coach, Luis Pipe Urreta. The Latin players call him Pipe. The American players call him Pipe. He's got about a dozen different names. He's coming up next on Fox Sports 940 Miami and the iHeartRadio app. Now, welcome back to the Miami Marlins Hot Stove Show on a Tuesday on your home for Marlins baseball, Fox Sports 940 Miami and the iHeartRadio app. Uh, I'm Kyle Seeloff, Steven Strom. Obviously, uh, well, I'm remote. I'm uh, I- I'm off campus tonight. I'm I'm uh, I'm off site. Steven is holding things down. Do you miss me, Kyle, in Nashville? Uh, no, sir. Steven's holding things <laughs> down back home in Miami. The two of us will be back in better than ever uh, live in studio together um, next Tuesday. So we heard from Jim Leland, terrific conversation with him, Steven. Very cool. I mean, 24, 48 hours removed from being nominated the newest inductee into the hall of fame. We get him on yep. the hot stove show. It's great. I hope people check it out. I know we'll tease some of those clips or whatever. And obviously remember, we're always on the podcast page, uh, post some clips on, on Twitter and, and YouTube, YouTube. So what have you Try to get the uh, okay. YouTube up this season real quick, guys, subscribe to our YouTube at Marlins radio. Yes. It really, really helps us out of all seriousness. When you watch it, if you just like it, if you, if you want to subscribe, you know, we're, we're not inundating you every day. We try to put some good content up there for you. We're kind of limited with what we can do before we get whacked off. You know, we have to be kind of careful with what we're doing, um, but we try to put content up there. So um, that's all the nuts and bolts um, of everything for you. Now we have another guest and joining us on the Miami Marlins hot stove show is Marlins bench coach, Luis Pipe or pipe. Uretta. He joined Skip Schumacher um, and his staff. Last year, we'll get to the interview in a second. But, Stephen, what's very interesting is that a bench coach is a guy you just rarely hear from in baseball and a guy Mm -hmm. that plays a massive role in the team's success. Yeah, and uh, I'm very interested to sit down. I know you got a chance to sit down with him last year, but uh, especially after his first year with the Marlins, I actually got a chance to catch up with him a couple of times at the gym. You know, the guy is another guy. I mean, we might have the best-looking staff and the most uh, well-conditioned staff in baseball. I don't Mm -hmm. know. But – um, just had a chance to talk a little bit about his baseball journey, and it's an interesting one. He's been in baseball his entire life. I know he's managing right now. Um, so very excited to hear what uh, Pipe has to say and see, see how he's doing. 
All right, so here we go. Let's get into it without further ado. Here was the Marlins bench coach, Luis Pipe Udureta. All right, our next guest on the Marlins Hot Stove Show tonight is the Marlins bench coach. He is the right-hand man to the National League Manager of the Year, Skip Schumacher. It is Luis Pipe to the Hispanic players, Pipe to the American players. Udoretta joining us on the Marlins Hot Stove Show tonight. Um, Pipe, there's so much I want to get into you with. I, we have a limited uh, amount of time, and I know the entire, really, the coaching staff is such a humble group of guys, and it, you're all really fun to be around. Skip doesn't want to talk about himself. He only wants to talk about you guys and give you guys credit. Um, I'd love to start by asking you tonight, though, how deserving you thought Skip was of winning National League Manager of the Year and what he meant for this team last year. Yeah, how are you doing, guys? Stone? Thanks for having me. And uh, absolutely. Absolutely deserving. Um, I think um, Skip did everything to win that award, um, not only because of the results that we had as a team, um, but what, what kind of manager he was the whole year. You know, rookie manager coming in. Um, I, I always said as a super, super prepared guy, um, attention to all the details possible uh, to manage a ball club. And I think um, what he did with this club, it was it – was, uh, um, it was amazing. It was amazing, and I'm I'm sure that he will turn into one of the best managers um in the league in the future. He already is, so I'm I'm super excited, super happy to uh, for him and to be part of his staff as well. Hey, pipe, good to see you. Um, why do you think this staff meshed so well? Why do you think it clicked very well this year? I think he did a great job putting together people that he already uh, knew from the past and people that he um, had a. Uh, and experience with, and also people that he heard from. Um, I didn't have a personal relationship with Skip in the past, just um, from the opposite um, dugout when he went to San Diego. Uh, but he, I think he trusted who he knew. Um, I think he trusted uh, people that talked to him about other staff members, and 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 we all clicked. I think when when we got to spring training, it was kind of it was a challenge. We were all new, um, coming in organization, uh, new manager, new coaching staff. You know, getting to know players. Uh, but I think we had a good spring despite the results. I think I remember that we got in a funk where we couldn't win a game, uh, but we're still bonding as a, as a staff and the players saw that. I always think that um, um, a good clubhouse is a reflection of a coaching staff, of a good mm -hmm. coaching staff and um, our friendship, um, the relationship that we built it throughout um, that month. It was, I think it set the tone for, for a good season. Pipe, it's funny you said spring training. Uh, couldn't win a game in spring last year. Jim Leland, who just got inducted into the Hall of Fame yesterday, said back in 97 when they won the World Series, they were like 26-5 and five in the spring. He was praying they were going to lose games because a single-A player would come <laughs> hit a grand slam in the ninth inning, and they were winning every spring training game. It's just funny because, you know, it's too different. Like, oh, my gosh, can we win a spring game? And back in the day, they're like, can we lose one? Hey, so let, let me ask you this, Pipe. Because, you know, it's interesting. The bench coach is somebody nobody ever really hears from, right? Things are not going well. It's the manager that has to go to the microphone. Um, it's just, it's such a, a thankless job. And you are the eyes and ears for Skip. I, I wouldn't say what's the most difficult part of your job, but what's maybe the part of the job that people don't see? It's like, man, this guy does so much to keep this thing on the tracks every night. I think staying positive, to be honest with you, Kyle. Um, when those moments happen, which happen, I mean, 
don't get me wrong. Like after the break, we 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 didn't we weren't good. Um, it, it was tough for us. We lost momentum, and those times where that where that where that's happening, I think you gotta stay positive. And people get negative. I mean, I mean, um, uh, people start losing hope and you know start being negative, and you gotta you gotta stay positive. And don't get me wrong, like Skip was positive the whole year, but there are moments where you gotta bring him up, lift him up. Mm -hmm. Um, the coaching staff, the players, you know, the front office, everybody. Um. So I think you, since you are, you're not the guy that's in front of the mic talking to media or answering questions, you got to, you got to stay positive. And uh, that's exactly what we did. Not only myself, John Jay Griffin, um, you know, Rob Barajas, everybody, even Mel, like even everybody, I think stayed, stayed positive when we most needed it. So um, saying that it's the most difficult thing, maybe not, um, but it's something that you have to keep in mind throughout the year. I want to get into the nitty gritty with this answer because a lot of the times when Skip talked about you, he would always say that you've always had his blind spots. What does that mean? How did you have his blind spots? What were the blind spots that you had? I think when it comes down like the playing time roles, um, guys start to get a little bit grumpy about what's happening in the year. Like you have to cover those moments and mm. those blind spots um skips got a lot of his plate and you gotta take those battles for him um and not let him affect what he's doing as a, as a manager um did it happen maybe few of them of course like they're always gonna happen some of those cases um but i think they were handled the right way um and i think to be honest with you that um skip being a former bench coach he knew what was going on and he also like took those battles at times um, and he handled them himself. So um, that's why I'm saying like he's a super prepared manager. He's got a bench coach background. He's got a first base coach background. Obviously, he's got a you know player background, bench player background. So he knew exactly what was going on um, throughout the the year in the clubhouse. So um, maybe I thought there were gonna be more blind spots that they were because I, to be honest with you, um, Skip, you know he's 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 covered a lot of a lot of things that. Um, usually a bench coach does, but, um, uh, but yeah, those are the things that I'm always, um, trying to look for and not affect the, the, the chemistry and the atmosphere in a clubhouse. Pipe from the people that I've spoken to. And from what I hear in the media, I hear you're going to be a great manager one day. Is that humbling to hear that? What do you make of that? When I say that and you hear that maybe publicly, um, it's, it's nice to hear, but I, I always say that I, I take every year and every position that I have in baseball um one time at one one at a time. I, I, I really don't don't focus on the future. It's kind of cool to know that people think that about me. Um, uh, but I think right now it's me um and which we accomplished. It was I told Skip when I got the job, I said, my job is to make you the best manager possible. And he was, and he was. So that 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 kind of makes me feel good when we got eliminated in um in Philly. I told them that I say, Skip, listen, like you're going to run for the manager of the year. Probably you're going to win it. And I'm super proud of that because mm -hmm. like, that's part of my job. My job is to make you that person, that, that manager, that who, that who you are right now. So. Uh, I have a fun question for you because speaking of having your managers back, there's a couple times that Skip lost his temper a little bit. And there's times where you followed behind, um, specifically in San Francisco, uh, maybe a couple of times in New York. 
what are you doing at that point? What are you saying? Are you telling Skip to calm down? Or are you going out there to to give a little sense to, to the umpire? Yeah, you were wrong. Give us like a little bit of a behind the scenes trying to cover yeah, that. Yeah. First of all, you go out there just to, first of all, you're, you're supporting, obviously, his argument. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want it to go farther. And you want to <laughs> keep him safe, obviously. And there was one time when I went there, um, I do remember that, that while he was arguing a call, I was on the phone making sure that he was right. Mm-hmm. And and he was. So when I went out there, I told him, I say, I say something. It was kind of like go to replay or whatever. And he didn't like it. He didn't like it. He's like, <laughs> let, let me handle it. Let me handle it. So, yeah, you always got to know know, pers- know the personality, know how how far he can go and and I think the way Skip handled Empires this year it was it was awesome. Like he never went too far. You know, he went far enough when he had to. Um, and when he was right and he had a point. Um, and then just his relationship with umpires was super good. So I kind of learned from that too. You know, you kind of learn um as the season goes and progress, like how he's gonna handle those type of situations and how much you have to like um get in the way when he's out there. So, but I think it went well other than that day. Um, I learned my lesson. I'm like, okay, he's got it. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to let him do his thing. So it, it was pretty good. Did you get invited to uh, helping put on the tarp in New York or was that a solo job? <laughs> that was a good one too. That was a good one too. I was there. Uh, I remember Kim was there. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Kim like, hey, what, what, what do we do here now? Um, and he he got pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> upset. And he he had all the, you know, he was right. He was right about it. Um, you know, that was a tough series, a tough start of the series. Um, you know, we were, you know, Happy that we ended up like getting the best of it in the la- that last game with a big hit of Yuli and the game that e- never ended, and we ended up losing in paper. Yep. But I think it, it 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 brought us some momentum for us to go to Pittsburgh and ended up clinching. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that, that was a, that was a good moment, um, a good memory when when he got he got super upset and <laughs> and he got on the ground screw guy. So it, it was it was funny. We've got just a couple of more minutes with Pipe. I will say by the way, Pipe, uh, a playoff push is stressful but it shouldn't have been as stressful from afar watching you guys go through that with everything happening down the stretch it was crazy we going back to new york we hopping on a bird go to new york to finish a game i wasn't saying it also i guess it you know it really made the whole thing a little bit sweeter down the stretch when you guys ultimately get in the playoffs just a couple of more minutes and i want to switch gears a little bit uh, a lot of p- people think that there's an off season of baseball uh, for you, there's not because you're in the Dominican Republic. You're the general manager of a winter league team down there. And your manager is Wellington Cepeda. No more and better to maybe Marlins fans as beef. He is the manager of the team. What's that dynamic like? And for you, I mean, baseball never stops, man. You got to love this thing. Yeah, my wife doesn't, but I, I do. Um, and yeah, I again, we got eliminated in Philly. And I got on a bird the next day to go to the DR. Um, you know, I've, I've been working with beef for so long. Like we were former Diamondback players, former um, minor league um, coaches with the Diamondbacks. Um, and then we, he was, a, he was a bitching coach. I was the manager in our, this is my eighth year in the Dominican. And we were together in Lise and another club for four years. And now we're here together um, in Gigantes and I got the opportunity to be the GM um, obviously who a better person, um, than give the team to beef and he's doing a great job. You know, we're, we're down there grinding. We had um, a couple of Marlins players. We had on um, Dave Myers. He was with us. 
unfortunately he's um he's done for the year over there he needs to rest go back home he's gonna have a baby pretty uh pretty soon here okay. uh but um it's a good experience kyle and I, I i keep doing it because i love the game uh because it's a way also for me um to keep developing as a as a baseball man um whatever the area is now i'm in the office seeing the game from a different perspective which which it helps you know now you understand how you know how the front office thinks um how the coaching staff um sees the game in a different you know different way so um i hope i hope i'm back in miami pretty soon probably maybe spend some holidays with my family and then go back to finish the season down there but uh um it's non-stop like you say it's 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 um 12 months a year take us away steven take us out of here brother no, I just want to know how Dane Myers looked. I'm excited about him this year. Yeah. He did he did awesome. He he did great. Um played um center field corners. Um I think that experience is going to be good for him. He he needed it, but he's played the whole year, man. I mean, it's it's been a long season for him, so he he needed a rest. Um now the season's starting to get hotter and as far as like competition and environment, uh but he was he was there for almost a month and a half, so yep. which is good. So um, you know, we we saw what he did for us here in, in um during the season. So hopefully he can contribute, come up again and contribute for the team. Pipe, thank you so much for joining us. It was uh, such a fun ride to watch you guys in 2023. Uh, if we had another hour, I'd preview 2024 with you, but we don't. So enjoy the rest of the winter meetings and we'll see you in Jupiter soon. Thanks, All right, Pipe. Guys. All right, good stuff. That was Marlins bench coach Luis Pipe Uroreta joining us on the Miami Marlins Hot Stove Show tonight. Again, I prefaced it by going into the interview, just a you know, a, a person you rarely hear from uh, a bench coach is kind of uh, not obviously an unforgotten person, but you know, when things are going bad, it's the manager who has to put his feet to the fire and his feet to the coals. It's not the bench coach. It's right. the bench coach that plays a massive, massive role. And skip, I know as humble as skip is, he gives all the credit in the world to his staff. And obviously one of those guys uh, is Pipe, Pipe, whatever, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. And skip loves him. Kyle and he keeps he said it in his media availability on Monday like he expects him to be a major league manager one of these days uh he yes. covered a bunch of blind spots for Skip and um only is going to get better and he does sort of command that um respect I think that he is such a good connector he's a bridge with the Latin players, with the English players, he's young enough to be able to relate and has the baseball experience to be respected. So he's an awesome guy to have a part of the staff and hopefully we can keep him as long as we can. Yeah, I sure hope so. Um, but again, the best thing for major league teams is for your coaches to be wanted. And that's very tough for fans to be like, why are we, you know, why did we lose Brant Brown? It is an indictment in the best of ways on your team. If yep. your coaches on your staff are getting plucked by or other organizations. You know, it was very interesting and I don't want to go on too much of a tangent. Peter Bendix was asked yesterday how much different, obviously this is his first year in Miami. What he's still drinking out of a fire hose. He's three weeks into the job or whatever, but he feels a different sense of interest in the Miami Marlins from players and agents because they went to the playoffs, right? Like when you create cultures and you start doing well and you go to the postseason and you win games, Coaches are wanted. Players want to come to you. Other teams right. are going to want your players. When you start winning, it is a great situation to be in. So um, let's take one more break, and Stephen's going to close us out when we come back. Final segment on the Marlins Hot Stove Show. Kevin up next on Fox Sports 940 Miami and the iHeartRadio app. Back here on the Marlins Hot Stove Show, Fox Sports Radio, iHeartRadio app, Steven Strom, Kyle Seeloff, ready to wrap it up here. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on a Tuesday night. And, Kyle, um, 
I'm just going to just throw some random stuff at you in the last three minutes. First, uh, give me a temperature check in uh, Nashville. Um, a quite literal temperature check, please. 52 degrees. Okay. Mostly sunny. A warmer breeze out of the southwest at 10 miles an hour. Gusts up to 21. Feels like 50. A touch chillier, even though it's a warmer breeze, but stiff enough that it is making it feel a touch on the chillier side. Sun is making it very pleasant. It would be a terrific, terrific <laughs> day for me to be out golfing. I am up here on the company card, uh, so I cannot be out golfing. How does Jake Berger look? Um, good. He looks good. Uh, him and his wife both look stunning. They have uh, a beautiful family. They have a sensational home up here, from what I understand. He's about 45 minutes on the outskirts of town. Uh, he looks terrific and unbelievable, dude. I like him. like him a lot. You have any chance to go to a Nashville Predators game? Are they in town? Uh, no, but some gentleman by the name of Travis Scott was doing a concert at the wow. uh, arena last night. Uh, the guy is so good. Tickets were $7. That must have been a time of their people's lives. <laughs> So whoever um, Travis Scott is, seven dollars get in last night. Is that that's not possible? I don't believe that. Travis Scott is one of the best artists. Yeah, well, I won't give my opinion, but he's one of the biggest artists, and he was selling tickets for seven dollars. I, I think you get you're mixing up names. I think you're thinking of maybe like country. No, singers. sir. I was in a car with five other people. We got out. There was lines going around blocks. We saw a gentleman by the name of Travis Scott was doing a little a do to do, a little performance, as some would say. Um, and we looked and tickets were $7. If you wanted to get it at the last second, would you trade me for Otani? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been, uh, it's been weird not having you in the studio for the first time, but I'm excited for you guys to come back and get back into it. Cause we only have a couple of shows left and then we go on our little hiatus or a little break. And then it's, it's all gas, no breaks. Uh, yes, it is. And February, basically the way I see it, February 1st, baseball starts. Really, you and I don't, we'll go up to Jupiter a couple of times, really don't need to start uh, living out up there until a day or well, two. Long toss, yeah. um, try to do some content, but uh, before you know it, February 1st is going to be here and then it's go time and say goodbye to your families for nine months. <laughs> All right. Very good. Enjoy the rest of your time in Nashville. I know we're going to talk and everything, but um, very good stuff. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Apple Podcasts, where you can find all of our pods. I'm probably going to put some more stuff out this week if Kyle gets some sound. We had Peter Bendix and Skip Schumacher in the can. That was our first episode that we put out on Monday night. We're, of course, going to keep you updated on our Twitter. Everything that you need to know for your Marlins offseason, we've got you covered, our YouTube page. So make sure to follow that, subscribe to it, whatever it may be. But as always, we love you guys. We appreciate you for tuning in on this Tuesday night. We hope you got entertained and hopefully you get home soon on that 95 commute for Kyle Seeloff. I'm Steven Trom. This is the Marlins hot stove show on Fox sports, 940 in the iHeart radio app.